Angel DiCarlo, Alex Wilcox back with you. Turning now to Focus on Faith. We heard from Lou Holtz just moments ago. He was our guest on Focus on Faith a few weeks ago. Today, it's Father Pete McCormick, who, Alex, I know you know pretty well from your days at Notre Dame. Yeah, absolutely. He's a great guy. I mean, so so every every dorm on campus at Notre Dame has a has a live-in priest, one of the, the great things about Notre Dame, I guess. And so I was lucky enough to have Father Pete as my live-in priest at Stanford. And he was just such a great guy, always available for guys to talk to. Uh, of course, he's the the chaplain of the men's men's basketball team. And so our dorm, Stanford Hall, did this thing uh, called Griff Hoops. Basically, just the whole dorm goes over and plays hoops on a Tuesday night or whatever. And every single week, Father Pete would come and he was one of the best players there. The guy, he's a great priest, a great guy, but the guy's an athlete, too. He's now the director of campus ministry at Notre Dame, chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team, and definitely a big sports fan. Here's Focus on Faith with Father Pete McCormick. You know, you're the men's basketball chaplain, and and sometimes I, I hear people say, who, who was the men's chaplain before Father Pete? And I guess the answer is everybody. Well, what, can you explain how, how the whole process kind of came to be? Yeah, that, that's exactly the answer, actually. There was a... Um, the approach was basically chaplaincy by committee. So what we did was is that the basketball season's long and there's an extended period of time. And so we would ask a whole load of the CSC priests on campus what games they could pick up. And then we would just work our way through the season that way. So there might be one priest for uh, the Duke game and then there might be another priest for the North Carolina game, so on and so forth. Um, and so when I was just getting started, I observed that and I got uh, a part of that. Uh, but what I realized was that the guys didn't necessarily know anyone priest. I was just another Roman collar who was coming in to celebrate Mass, and they no doubt appreciated it. But at the same time, they were thinking likely of, you know, in the ideal world, we have some consistency. So what I did was I pitched the idea. I said, in an ideal world, we would have one, maybe two guys who would help out with this. And admittedly, I said, you know, I really don't have a horse in this race. Um, but I really did because I'm a basketball fan and I played all through high school and then officiated in college. So all of a sudden to have this opportunity then, um, what came around, and this is the great part about the basketball season, for as many Duke games as there are, there are also teams that you've never heard of that we're playing. And they're at times and dates that don't always work out so well. So, um, so to be able to have one consistent chaplain all the way through has been really helpful. And so the way I approach it now is, is like, if I have a conflict, then I'll ask one or two guys who will help out and assist. But by and large, I'll take probably 90 some odd percent of the games. What do you feel your role is? Uh, what are you hoping to achieve to be there for, for the players? Right. I, I would say that my role really is kind of two functions. One is to encounter them wherever they find themselves um, with no um, expectation about their, their need to reciprocate. I really am just interested in who they are as people, what they're going through, and if there's a way that I can help, great. And if not, that's completely okay. My whole hope is is that if, if I can encounter them where they're at, there might be an opportunity to encounter, uh, not only encounter, but accompany these guys as they go along. So, you know, hey, I'm going through a tough breakup with a girlfriend or I'm dealing with um, some stress from some exams or whatever the case might be. Uh, but just to let them know, hey, I, I care about you as a person first and foremost. I'm not coming in as a priest and I'm going to teach you how to become Catholic. It's far more interesting to me to say, I'm going to meet you where you're at we're going to have some conversations, and we're going to see where the conversation unfolds from there. You're obviously a big basketball fan, as you as you mentioned, and there's probably nobody that has better uh, quote unquote season ticket than you do right there on the bench. What uh what are your, some of your favorite memories since being uh, chaplain, uh, witnessing there from the bench? Uh, you know the the game that immediately comes to mind is the five overtime game against Louisville. You know Jerry and Grant 
uh, just playing at an amazing level and winning that game and watching the crowd erupt. Uh, Notre Dame beating number one ranked Syracuse when Pat Connaughton is a freshman and he comes out and he just keeps hitting three point shots like you know he's just in his backyard shooting around with a bunch of buddies. Um, I, these are the moments, and and I would frankly say that watching Zion Williamson play up close and personal last year, I, I've seen a lot of great players. Um, I think up until last year, I would have said that Jason Tatum was the best player who was not playing for the Boston Celtics that I had seen up close and personal. Um, but having seen Zion Williamson and his overall explosiveness and the way that he could cover ground as a 285-pound man uh, was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Father Pete McCormick, chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team, joining us here on Focus on Faith on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Uh, you mentioned playing in high school, so how, how good were you? I would say I was okay. Um, <laughs> I, were you a starter? Uh, I I was the captain of uh, my basketball team uh, in junior and senior year. Um, And in my senior year, I played a a diminishing role throughout the course of it. So um, I would say I was okay. I was a good, like, energy guy, sixth, seventh, eighth guy coming off the bench. Coach always knew that I would be consistent, that I would um, show up to practice, work hard, do those types of intangible things. And I think that's probably what I brought to the team. There was no uh, Grand Rapids press beat reporter who was like, I really need to find out where Pete McCormick's going to play college ball at. Let me assure you of that. All right. But you're from Grand Rapids, as you mentioned. Yep. So, and you're a big fan, big college sports fan. So it begs the question. Oh, yeah. Who, uh, who did you cheer for growing up? You know, this is going to be very unpopular. But I grew up in the, the era of the Fab Five. And so, you know, rooting for Big Blue, being from Grand Rapids, Michigan, watching those players, you know, the baggy shorts, the black socks, the the swagger. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I went out and found the baggiest shorts I could possibly wear and would wear them whenever I could. Um, Yeah, they just captivated my imagination. You throw the Fab Five on top of Michael Jordan, and you basically have a recipe for my basketball pedigree. Those are the guys that I tried um, to just um, imagine my own game, and I emphasize the word imagine. All right, but now nowadays, how about in football when those two schools are going at it? Who uh, who are you pulling for now? Oh, it's really clear, Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the end of the, you know, like I always joke that you know before entering the seminary, I did not know where Notre Dame was. The only thing I knew about Notre Dame was that um, Michigan played them, and it was a big rivalry. And my uncle, who's a big mentor of mine, um, got really fired up, and so I was like, well, if Uncle Bill's fired up, I'm fired up too. Were you? Were, did you come from a very religious family, and and kind of what was the reaction from your family when you told them? I think I may want to go become a priest. It's a great question, and it's one that I've, I've pondered a lot. I was far more anxious about this decision than they were. Um, I started thinking about this when I was a sophomore in high school, you know, and I had these moments of of really reflection and contemplation and moments of peace, and then followed by anxiety. And I thought, what am I supposed to do with this? And I did what any sophomore in high school. Sh- likely might do, which is uh, I, I shelved it. I talked to my parents about it and said, this is a this is a post-college decision. And then I worked my way through the remainder of high school and then into college. When I when I got towards the end, you know, the the lack of decision making uh, began to rear its ugly head. So I I took a fifth year through college, not because I was just so fascinated by the journey, but more because I didn't have enough credits to graduate. I had changed my major so many times between pre-professional and being a biology teacher that I got to the end of my senior year and just didn't have what I needed. So I um, in my fifth year, I took it as a time of real self exploration. And I had this moment, I'm riding on my, my bike, um, not a Harley, just a good old pedal, uh, bike. And, um, and I had this moment of clarity of, 
you know, I almost imagine it, St. Paul getting knocked off his horse. I, I had this moment where this voice in my head said, you know, Pete, I've given you a lot of time, and you've explored these different options, but never once have you really dug into this idea of being a priest. Um, I'm going to need for you to do that now. And it was the scariest thing for me because it was the most unknown. That meant likely I would have to change the, the vision that I had for myself. I had a particular narrative that I wanted to see played out. Um, and, and that meant that I was going to give myself over to something much bigger than what I could have otherwise imagined. And, and, and thank God that I did. Um, I didn't know what was on the other side of that, that fear and that anxiety. But at the time, it, was, it, it, it limited my capacity to even see what might be possible. You have entered seminary, I think, right before 9-11. How did that, while you're in seminary, then kind of affect you and and help you in your discernment? So the the way that the seminary works, uh, when you're coming in from a postgraduate experience, is that you do what's called the novitiate in your second year. The novitiate is largely kind of boot camp for priests. It's uh, regimented. At the end of it, you you take your vows of uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Um, and so I literally was a month and a half into my novitiate experience. And um, and the way it works is you have mandatory silence in the morning, you have mandatory silence in the, in the evening, and then you've got a work period, lunch, and um, mass and other things in the middle of the day. Um, so that morning, when it's normally mandatory silence, all of a sudden, I'm rounding the corner, and I can see the TV room wide open with the TV on, which would have been a big no-no. And so I walked in. I'm gravitated towards it because I'm like, what's going on in there? And I round the corner, and there I see one of the planes flying to the towers, and I looked back in the room, and there's all my my classmates. One of my good buddies, a uh, priest that I was ordained with, his father was a former New York City firefighter. Um, he was He was worried about his family. So all of a sudden it went from this world event that was going on. In addition to that, I was thinking about, well, what about Stephen here? What about his family? What's going on? How can we get information? And, and as, as you well know, um, there was so little uh, that we could get out of New York um, right away because we just didn't know what was going on. You know, you eventually become a priest and, and you become a rector uh, in a dorm, and now you're the director of campus ministry. Um, what's your role, uh, as, what's your duties as director of campus ministry for those that maybe are like, okay, I kind of have an idea what that is, but I'm not exactly sure what he does. Yep. My, my dad, uh, I think, said it best when I first took this job. You know, there was this big press release, and it's on the uh, university website, and he said, that Pete, that's great. But what do you do? <laughs> and uh, and so the way I've kind of encapsulated it is the following. It's my job to think about um, how it is that Notre Dame um, engages its faith or invitation to faith for our students, staff, faculty, and alums uh, when they're here on campus. That I always like it because um, the, the, the focus of my energy is actually ordered in the title, campus ministry. So it's my job to think about the ministry that occurs on this campus at Notre Dame. And so when folks are coming in, whether it be at the Basilica or whether it be a DPAC mass post-football game, whether it be a retreat or whether it be a pilgrimage or a faith-based talk, we're trying to engage and think about what are the issues that are at play um, that we can help move the needle a little bit in collaboration with so many great people. The beauty of Notre Dame is um, we are we are laden with great resources on this topic. And so it would be a fool's errand for me to say, ah, I am the sole ambassador of all things faith. Um, but the reality is I have the capacity to be able to network with a variety of people and say, hey, can we partner on this topic or that topic? Or wouldn't it be cool if we could do these things? So that's what we're constantly working on. And I've got a staff of about 40 people that are um, in, in a myriad of different ways responsible for this, this same thing that I'm outlining here. 
Father Pete McCormick joining us, uh, men's basketball team chaplain on Focus on Faith and Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Uh, one of your basketball players, Rex Fluger, obviously going through a very difficult time. His mom passing away recently of, of cancer. Uh, h- how difficult is that to see? And, you know, in, in these situations, I, f- I feel like it, it's got to be so hard for everybody involved. But um, y- you play a special role in this, I imagine, to try to be there for not only Rex, but but also uh, the rest of the team as well. That's correct. You know, first and foremost, um, continued prayers for the Fluger family. Uh, we, as a team, were able to go out and to attend uh, the funeral. And um, to be there in the midst of Rex's hometown, surrounded by his loved ones, um, and to see that the hospitality that his family extended to us, you know, we're all coming to be in support of them. And, and here they are um, offering such generous hospitality. Rex's dad, you know, said, listen, do not um, spend a ton of time uh, con- uh, consoling me. Um, his whole thing was, when you see me, thank me. And not only that, but, but, it, but extend your, your warm wishes for having been such a lucky man to have lived so long with Rebecca. And I thought, what a beautiful way, like a, an expression of gratitude that he had for the gift of life that he had received, not only in his wife, but in his two sons. And uh, Rex and his brother were marvelous in their own reflections. And so I just think, this is what I'm talking about. You know, you encounter people. Rex was, uh, you know, a freshman from Cali who was doing his thing. And all of a sudden now, as, as a fifth-year senior, um, the poise and, and the conversations that we've been, been that I've been so blessed to be a part of with him. Um, you know, it, it was just truly a blessing to be with them there and to see where he comes from and how it is that he um, continues to endure the challenges of life in, in, in a way that is mature with perspective, but yet also realizes that it's it's a very hard thing to do to lose your mom at such a young age. Yeah, no question. And then I, I imagine the number one question any priest probably gets is, is why? Why, why did this happen? Right. How do you begin to try to answer that question when, when it's posed to you? What I always think about here is to say, and it's not, um, Jesus never says when he invites his disciples to come and follow that life will be easy. He says that I will be with you always until the end of the age. Um, and so it, it flips the narrative. I think sometimes we think, well, how is it that a person... Um, who, who lives such a good life, who is so tender and loving to so many, that you could take this person from our world. Um, and, and I always think to myself that the cross comes for us all in its own way, shape, or form. The beauty of living our lives of faith and, and, and disciplining ourselves is so that we can begin to understand that reality. And not only that, but that we can begin to endure the hardships that come our way with hope. Um, with, with a realization that death is not the end. Um, life has changed. It is not ended. And so always to that question of why, why? Because God calls us home. Because we have a belief that this is not the end of the story. But that moment of realization of the difficulty that is to come, I actually think that's worth pondering, which is, okay, how am I going to embrace this cross just as Jesus did? I'm sure Jesus would have thought, and in fact, I know, as the agony in the garden demonstrates, he would have preferred it another way. He would have liked this um, salvation of souls to perhaps gone down in a way that did not mean him hanging from the cross. But yet he willingly endured that with the belief that something greater was at play here. 
And I think anyone who follows after Christ, anyone who follows after the example of Jesus, is afforded that very same opportunity to ask these questions and to live into it. And so I really do think that in the midst of that, um, we have to be mindful of the fact that we, we follow after a Savior who is not asking us to do anything he himself has not already done. Father Pete, thank you very much. My pleasure. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and then stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed, it's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go to see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go to see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? We spend money on extras in our life. That extra cup of coffee, the extra screen on our Netflix subscription, or that extra fee for faster shipping. But what if the bit of extra you give was more than a temporal gratification? By giving a little of your extra to Redeemer Radio, you are investing in the eternal. Souls are being changed every day because of what is being broadcast through the airwaves. Be a part of someone's conversion. Give a little extra to Redeemer Radio.